Oh shit, uh, I didn't check my levels, give me a second. I just need to check my levels and make sure they're okay. I suspected it was going to be some sort of a, a, a gimmick, a ploy, <laughs> a ruse. Are my levels okay? Uh, I don't know. Guess what I got. Um, a drum kit. No, I got overinflated sense of self-confidence when it comes to my music. And a guitar. I got a guitar. That sounds really nice. What kind of a guitar is it? It sounds like a, it should be Spanish-style guitar. So, it's not my guitar. You remember Marcus, who gave me that beer that one time? Yeah. And then he, he you've you've elevated. You've now stolen his musical instruments. I've now taken his guitar, yeah. He lives around the corner from me. And it's been a long time since I played guitar. And I had a stressful week and I wanted to just get a guitar so I could play and unwind. So, I took it off. And so, this, this episode is again sponsored by Marcus Peterson. But it's been so long since I played. All I can really remember right now is this thing. It's very ominous. It's like you're it's like you're like standing off and about to like open fire at a couple of Mexican bandits. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's the kind of That's the tone we're going for. This, oh, okay. this. Uh, I've also been working on my cover of the What Am Politics theme music. Do you oh, want to hear it? It's, yeah, it's yeah. an acoustic cover. Do you want to hear it? Yes, please. Okay. And a one, and a two, and a So that was pretty accurate, don't you think? That was pretty true to the yeah. Um, I mean, Supermarket I, Loves original. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. I can't believe you got all the instruments down. I mean, <clears> I, <throat> I thought that Supermarket Love just like played a Game Boy for a while and recorded it, but clearly not. No, it it yeah, it takes a lot of um, uh, advanced fingering, shall we say, to get all of those discrete melodies down into one instrument. If anybody can do advanced fingering, Richie, it's you. Mm-hmm. Let's never say advanced fingering ever again on this show. <laughs> Wouldn't be like us. <laughs> wouldn't be like this at all news what's happening Steve give me some uh, news uh, yeah there's been a fuck ton happening I thought like yesterday morning when I was doing a bit of research it was pretty quiet but then all of a sudden the United States erupted into turmoil because oh, of no. a piece of paper oh no what yes. was on the piece of paper um, was it a treasure map and everyone's <laughs> fighting over this one treasure map <laughs> I wish that'd be really cool if like you had Trump and the Republicans on one pirate ship obviously the evil one and then you had like <laughs> the sprightly Democrats on another one and they had to like sail and get the ghost of Obama to help them or something like that. <laughs> so Obama's dead in this dystopian future we're crafting. Yes. Well, it's, I wouldn't even say dystopian future. Alternate real, alternate pirate-based reality. Mm, alternate fact-based reality. Fact. Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's been an investigation into the Trump campaign and Russia. Yes. We've probably mentioned it a few times. It may have come up we in have. other news sources. I don't know if we're not. We may we may or may not be the only people covering it. Um, the So there's a couple of different facets going on. We have the FBI are doing an investigation. You have a special counsel appointed by the Justice Department who's doing his own investigation, Robert Mueller. You have um, two committees in Congress, one in the Senate and one in the House, who are both mm. doing investigations. The leader of the House Committee on Intelligence apparently got his hands on a memo that that was written by the committee, the Republicans on the committee, so it wasn't that right. hard to get his hands on it. It's not like it's, right. a, it's a coup of of dem- democracy to get this thing, because he wrote it. No, it was but, just kind of there. Yeah, it was like, oh, it's on my desk. And uh, it was classified, um, which means that it is illegal to share it with the public. But 
pretty much everything that was on it was already leaked anyway, but the actual document itself had still hadn't been revealed. And okay. the last couple of weeks, um, the Republican media have been rattling on and on about sharing this memo because they think it's the it's proof that all these investigations into the Trump campaign link Russia are politically minded like uh, an engineer by the FBI and the Democrats to try and undermine the Republicans and Trump based on what they would say would be nothing. And they're essentially basing it all on the fact that they think the investigation started because of the Steele dossier. We we mentioned this before. It was a a report written by, um, I think the dude's name is Steele. He's a former British intelligence officer. He was commissioned by... Remington Steele? Perhaps. (laughs) That would be amazing. Is that a guitar reference? No, it's like a... It's a. Uh, well, I'm, I'm Googling Remington Steel. <laughs> it sounds like it should it's, be a guitar. If it isn't a guitar. No, it's not a guitar. It's. Um, oh, though, yeah, it was, a, it was a TV show with a spy. It was a, like a private investigator. Oh. Yeah. Well, maybe we're all just being rused. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be like, uh, who gave you this report? Uh, Mr. It's Bond? Mr. James Brosnan. Bond? It's Pierce Brosnan. No way. Pierce Brosnan is Remington Steel, yeah. Okay. I've never heard of this before. You made me making all this up. I have no idea what you're talking about. No, I just, yeah, I remembered in my head, Remington Seal, it was either a a TV show or movie about a spy or it was um, my beard, the the brand of my beard trimmer. (laughs) In my head, those are the two alternatives that could have been. I think I have that as well. Is that Remington? I don't know. Anyway, come on. (laughs) I think we got an odd topic, maybe. So the memo was was declassified by the president because he had the power to do so. And it was released yesterday and everyone went nuts. But to be honest, it doesn't actually say anything too bad. Um, right. It basically just it it, it, reiter- reiter- uh, it proves that one of <laughs> reiterates reiterates. Aha, thank you. It proves that Porky um, pig. it <laughs> re- 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 proves. <laughs> I've been called Porky Pig before, but not for those reasons. Oh, Steve. <laughs> what? It's because I'm tubby. Okay, that's what I was referring. <laughs> Nothing else. Nothing penis based, Richie. Get your mind out of the No, corner. I didn't. <laughs> We've gone off topic again, I believe. Mm. We were supposed to do less of this to try and get the shows under an hour. <laughs> so the, the document has proven that one of the Trump dudes has been, his phones have been tapped. Um, but the Trump campaign claims that he was just a stooge and wasn't actually worthwhile. It, he has gone over. Sorry, his, phone, his phones were tapped his by phones who? Were, by the FBI. Oh, okay. Um, and the FBI are freaking out. They They absolutely were totally against the release of this memo because it has evidence of their techniques and, and, and sources and what they use to gather information, which obviously as an investigative body is not a good thing to have in the public because if you're trying to investigate someone, it gives them more of course. ammunition to be able to protect themselves against your investigations. Um, and not only that, it, it actually didn't say anything like it. It did say that they started the investigation based on the street on the steel dossier. But then that was just a launching ground for them to go off and do their own thing. Mm. And it, it all it does is just further deepen the partisan clash that's going on in D.C. over this Russian investigation. It just gives more ammo to the people who already think that it's a witch hunt and uh, like a baseless witch hunt that's fueled by politics rather than actual thing, like an actual potential crime yeah. and then equally the Democrats are just even more exasperated by the Republicans refusing to actually treat it like a proper investigation and get to the bottom of it. It's just galvanizing both sides. Exactly yeah so yeah. and not only that but the, the Democrats on the committee um, did write up their own um, memo which is also classified about why it isn't that big a deal that steel dossier was used as a launching ground and that this this particular Trump aid was being investigated but the president didn't declassify that. <laughs> 
So right. they, they can't even use it, which is just, it, it doesn't look good. Like if you're going to, no. if you're going to classify one, declassify one, why not declassify the other? Right, just, exactly. It, it looks like, it looks like blatant party politics, ironically mm. trying to fight against what they claim is blatant party politics. Mm-hmm. So nothing has really been learned Nothing has been advanced. Um, I think the only people who are happy are the Russians, <laughs> because if their aim was to destabilize the American political system by interfering in the last elections, um, they're still getting a lot of bang for their buck. Yeah, that was, was a good investment on their part. Yeah, and um, it has severely weakened the the polit- like the the political um, wings ties with um, the Justice Department and the FBI. So. Mm. This committee was set up in the 70s to try and give oversight on secret investigations um, like either CIA or FBI, because after Watergate and all that, there was a bit of there was a bit of thought that maybe we should have elected officials overseeing these kind of things. And the, the like since the 70s, since it was set up, they pick people who they think that they can trust that will like politicians that will sit quietly, oversee things and not use it for political purposes and not leak things. Mm-hmm. And that's why the investigators felt confident that they could pr- take information to this committee and it would remain secret and it wouldn't jeopardize their investigations. It isn't that case anymore. So now the FBI and potentially the CIA are going to be more wary of bringing things to Congress, um, which mm-hmm. means essentially less oversight of their activities. Not good. Not good. No. How do you uh, feel about me starting my own leak like news service based off news leaks and calling it Richie Leaks. Um, I, I is, don't, that, is, there, is there any I, money in that? Uh, no. Because there's not money in podcasting and I'm just trying to... <laughs> You're trying to branch out. I'm trying to branch out because actually, and this might segue into our next news story, um, the whole Bitcoin thing has kind of gone under. Oh, that's right. You you pumped all your savings into Bitcoin. I, I, put, I, I put some money in Bitcoin. The bubble has burst. Pretty much. Has, for sure. has it definitely though? Hold on. Okay, so I'm going to open. We talked about this. Were you there when I was buying Bitcoin? Uh, I Yeah, we had the conversation over Christmas. Yeah, hold on. Let me find my phone. Uh, I'm going to check where my Bitcoin is at right now because when at the height of it, I had made, I didn't put I didn't put a huge amount of money in, but at the height of it, I had made a £150 profit in a week. <whistles> yeah, and that was over like a, a, a fairly minimal investment i'm gonna open up my coinbase app now yeah so i'm i've gone from 150 pound profit to minus 30 quid right now it's not too bad that's not too bad no it's fine like again this is more an experiment it's more so because i'm really interested in blockchain the the technology behind bitcoin and all cryptocurrencies i actually genuinely thought it was going to be like the future and maybe it still will be but yes like observing just these couple of cryptocurrencies it does not you know, accurately forecast an entire technological infrastructure's future, I don't think. No. What what's happened now is that the like it was a commodity bubble like any other commodity bubble what was going on in the second half of twenty seventeen. It had nothing to do with blockchain as a technology or the potential for these cryptocurrencies to replace conventional money transfers. Mm-hmm. It was just people seeing, Oh my God, this thing's like escalating in price for severely. I gotta throw all my doubloons in and try and make some money. <laughs> um like the same thing happens every couple of years, it, all the way back to the tulip bubble back in the uh, 1700s when people invested so much in tulips that a single tulip was worth as much as a massive estate in the UK. What? And, yeah. Needless to say, that burst and people lost a lot of money, including Isaac Newton. <laughs> also, tulips decompose. <laughs> I know, but you know. Potentially more dangerous than the Bitcoin bubble bursting, though, and I only intended to do Bitcoin, but as I was reading the news this morning, it looks like the stock market, which is a bit more important of a speculation system, yeah. is had a really bad week. Oh, really? Um, 
at the moment, the stock markets the world over are incredibly, they're as high as they ever have been, basically. They're, they're, the, the money has been pumped into them um, just after, since just after the recession when the uh, central bank started pumping money back into the financial system to try and keep it afloat. Mm-hmm. All that money went into investing in stocks and shares pretty much. Mm-hmm. And the markets thrived um, since the crash. People have pretty much called that it, it must be a bubble because what, what goes up must come down. Mm-hmm. And after the dodgy week going on with um, the politics in the US and um, they still haven't managed to get a proper budget passed. They just keep on putting continuing resolutions to pass it down like every six weeks, which isn't good. Um, the, U- the UK isn't having a good time with Brexit and all these different economic factors coming in, including that it looks like the central banks are going to start dropping their interest or raising their interest rates again, which were historically low after the crash, um, mm-hmm. which will make money more expensive to borrow. The stock markets are starting to get a bit wavy and it had its worst worst day of trading yesterday, um, which was Friday the second of February that it had since the crash. So oh, wow. if that was to actually turn into a proper run and the markets were to collapse, we would see um, one of those insane economic crises that we had ten years ago happen again. As big as I don't know, I don't know. Um, the, the difference with the one that started the Great Recession was that. It was based on the subprime mortgages and it was tied into people losing their houses and lots of different things like that. I think that this one may just be like a stock market blip, which does happen every so often. And if it's Mm -hmm. managed right by the governments, doesn't have as negative consequences. A lot of money is lost. People get panicked and there is a hit on the general economy. But if it's managed right, which hopefully it will be, it'll be a test to see what kind of lessons that governments have learned since the last one. Right. Okay. Um, And we've been waiting for it to happen for a while. So hopefully, hopefully um, not too many people get hurt hopefully yeah. uh, your bitcoin goes back up again maybe people were like oh i don't want to buy these apple shares anymore i want to invest in bitcoin yeah i doubt it very much i i, I know some people who put um their life savings into it and oh, had a bad time yeah that's silly that is silly yeah anyways yeah. um i didn't lose any money just to say <laughs> yeah so that was 30 quid so maybe i'll sell marcus's guitar <laughs> um, third piece of news potentially good news but I guess it's to be seen um, the 8th amendment referendum is definitely going to happen in Ireland hooray in May May I don't think a, a definite set date has been set but it's it, they're talking May and the referendum is going to be a straight up repeal of the 8th amendment and if anything it's going to be replaced with the Oireachtas, the parliament has to decide what um, abortion legislation is used in Ireland, not the constitution. Right. Which is good. Okay. Definitely yeah, good. Great. Um, um, so is, what's the, do these, I can't, I can't remember, I have a very bad memory, but referendums like this, do they happen usually on a weekday? Yes, they usually happen on a Friday or Thursday. Okay, cool. Hopefully it will be a weekend. To make it easier. Yeah, that would be great just to get people home for it. Oh, sorry, I was that, that was a very selfish question. <laughs> it wasn't really to, to drive the interview along or anything like that. It was just me trying to plan out my tickets. No, no, but it's a, it's a very good point because like there are so many young people that don't live in Ireland at the moment because of just, you know, our inclination to emigrate and people trying to get better opportunities abroad. And we proved that in the equal marriage referendum, people did come home in droves to try and change their country for the better. And I do yeah. believe the that best the comparison I've uh, the best um, analogy I heard for what happened there was when the riders of Rohan in, <laughs> in uh, <laughs> Lord of the Rings, uh, the, the two towers, when they came over to crested the hill at sunrise and just came charging down. That's what it was like when all of the expats returned home for the equal marriage referendum. Yeah, that's yeah. So hopefully the same thing happens again to get the uh, mm-hmm. to get the to get abortion taken out of the constitution. Mm-hmm. Um, what it's going to be replaced with 
is still up in the air at the moment. The Taoiseach Leo Varadkar quite bravely actually came out and said that he would like to see it replaced with um, twelve up to 12 weeks, essentially unlimited access to abortion. Mm-hmm. And then after that, the different caveats apply in terms of the life of the mother and men- and the potential suicide and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, fatal, fe- fatal fetal abnormalities will still be included after 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. But up until 12 weeks, essentially, if you go to your doctor and say, um, I would like to have an abortion and then they don't, they can't stop. They can't, they don't have to ask any more questions. They just help you with the procedure, which is the right. best way to have it. That's, that's essentially what the Irish women are getting when they go to the UK anyway. So we're yeah. just fixing that problem that we don't have to export anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. About 50% of TDs look to be in line with what the Taoiseach has said. Um, so they actually did a quick poll this week asking TDs what their opinions were. Uh, 50% said, no, I'd say a third said they were in favour of the Taoiseach's proposals. A third said they weren't sure or they didn't like it. And one third didn't answer. So potentially we could still have the majority of Irish politicians not being in favour of that kind of liberal um, access to abortion. Mm-hmm. But either way, if the Taoiseach and the leader of the opposition, Michal Martin, he has also come out favouring the same um, 12-week um, system. So it looks like the the main part of the Irish political system is going to be backing this. Mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. might be a good or a bad thing depending on Irish voters <laughs> yeah. yeah so we'll, we'll see, see. Um, we'll see. We'll definitely keep up with it and we may even do another um, special just on the we, campaign yeah, we will we will um, I'll be coming home for it and maybe we can do like a results special oh like yeah a quick episode about the results we have a special topic this week <gasps> are you just sitting there with the guitar on your lap as you talk <laughs> no <laughs> What's the topic? <laughs> WMDs, weapons of mass destruction. <gasps> Sorry, I'm going to put it down there. <laughs> Why WMDs? Why? Why? Why are we talking about WMDs? Um, we don't have a specific reason, but we didn't. I, I thought you said it was very timely. I was setting you up for talking about how much it's in the zeitgeist. I didn't have a specific reason because I just wanted to talk about them for a long time because they're pretty important. Oh, okay. But then this week, Donald Trump included in a State of the Union address. We must modernize and rebuild our nuclear arsenal, hopefully never having to use it, but making it so strong and powerful that it would deter any acts of aggression. I don't know why he sounds like he's a cast of The Sopranos, but that's what he is. I was going to say, is that Sylvester Stallone <laughs> yeah, okay, like, so melting on a hot day? That's what that sounded now like. Now I'm going to do Christopher Walken as Donald Trump reading the State of Union. Perhaps someday in the future, there will be a magical moment when the countries of the world will get together and eliminate the nuclear weapons. Unfortunately, we are not there yet. That was pretty good. It wasn't bad. It was kind of John Travolta from... Um, oh, it's actually... That yeah, was very good, John Travolta. Yeah. I if, if John Travolta... Sometimes I get them mixed up. If they had kids... Christopher Watson and John they, Travolta, they, they would be the most fucked up kids in the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Donald Trump has brought nuclear weapons back on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought that we were going to be avant-garde and a little bit uh, non-topical in our, in, our, in our subject selection. But I think it's Time Magazine's cover story this week. <laughs> and there's loads of other publications and news stories. Oh, that little thing. Yeah, that little so thing. So Time are covering it and we are also covering it. Two media behemoths <laughs> tackling <laughs> this very serious issue in that, equally comprehensive manners. Like how many times has Donald Trump mentioned when he was on the front of the Wadham Politics website? <laughs> I love looking at the little animation of him on our website right now, just dancing around. It's so good. I just, I just love it. I don't care. Like, we have to keep on bringing it back for whatever reason. Yeah. yeah. So, um, nuclear weapons, WMDs. 
Mm-hmm. Strictly speaking, the episode title is going to be WMDs, but that includes chemical and biological weapons as well. Mm-hmm. We don't have time to talk about those things as much. So when we reference WMDs, we're mostly going to be talking about nuclear bombs. Sure. If that's okay. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Is that okay with you, Richie? Um, let me think about it while I play guitar. No, I won't. <laughs> it's, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, yeah. So do you remember when I assigned um, a bit of homework to you? Um, I just want you to follow up on that now. So Richie, how exactly do we make a nuclear bomb? You assigned homework? Yeah. I asked, you, I asked you to figure that out so you could explain on the show. Um, how? No. Okay. Let how, me take a... How to build a nuclear bomb. Yeah, so when a mammy nuclear bomb and a daddy nuclear bomb love each other very much, they fuck. They fuck. <laughs> and then everybody up is what the rest of the sentence is. Yeah. No, I don't know how you make a nuclear bomb. <laughs> I can't even I. spell WMD. <laughs> I don't know exactly how you make a nu- nuclear bomb anyway. anyway. Luckily, it's not something you can put into Google and get the answer pretty readily. I was going to say, uh, my initial reaction, usually in these situations, is to very <laughs> clandestinely and subtly Google these things. But I don't. I think I'd go on a register if I Googled, how do you make a nuclear bomb? I, Some I sort of watch list. I think it's a pretty common one. I know for a fact that if you Google, um, how do you make a pressure bomb, that one immediately gets you on a watch list. And after really? the after the Boston, the Boston, Boston Marathon bombings, a journalist Googled it just to see if the FBI would come over. And they did. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. But, you know, that was just pretty facetious. Obviously, the FBI are going to be on high alert with people in New England Googling how to build a pressure bomb after one just hurt a lot of people. Yeah, um, that's not exactly fucking great journalism, is it? No, no. Oh. Okay, anyway, back to our great journalism. <laughs> Nuclear bombs have got something to do with using radioactive material and putting them into a little box and then it exploding. Okay, I can fo- I can follow that. That makes sense. Um it, Physic, uh, physicists have thought <laughs> Porky Pig's back ladies and gentlemen <laughs> atomic scientists um, have known that the, the power of the atom and splitting the atom could potentially have this kind of massive cataclysmic power um, for quite a while like I think since like the 1890s or so and they figured out pretty quickly that you could tap it and use it as a bomb so World War Two came around and all the countries were like, hey, do you remember that kind of theoretical idea you had to cause mass destruction with a single bomb? Let's mm-hmm. uh, let's do that. And Germany, uh, the Soviets and America all pumped massive amounts of uh, time and energy into trying to develop the super bomb. The US project is probably the most famous, the Manhattan Project. Yeah. Because it's a really cool name. It's a very cool name. It was. It was a good idea. It was good branding. And they yeah. had uh, Dr. Oppenheimer. He organized a whole lot of scientists to go out to the New Mexico desert and work on this. Um, it's been covered quite a few times in the media. I think there is a TV show out at the moment called Manhattan, which is about the, the project to actually develop the bomb. I don't know if it's been cancelled or not yet. I think it ran for a mm-hmm. season or two. And... Um, sorry, I got some sort of a wheeze. Got a cough. Yeah, what was that? <laughs> that was my voice. <laughs> That's that's terrifying. I thought it was the line, the, the Skype call breaking up or something. No, that was a wheeze from my throat. Jesus, we could actually do a compilation of just the weird sounds our bodies make <laughs> during the recording. Because we cut out most of them. But sometimes like that time I took a swig of, of from my beer and it yeah, sounded that was like... That was disgusting. I'm actually going to, right now, I'm going to put those two sounds back to back right now. <laughs> I hope you're not actually going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I might do it in the edit. <laughs> okay. Um, 
So they they did. They the US were the first to get to explode a bomb. Um, they put a lot of effort into it, and they had the bomb ready to go. But just before they actually exploded the test one in the desert in in New Mexico, they weren't sure if the re- if the chain reaction set off by the explosion was going to trigger the entire atmosphere of the Earth um, turning into a, a firestorm. Like it would ignite the oxygen would, in the atmosphere. Yeah, it would cause a chain reaction that would essentially just flash flash fry the entire planet. Oof. But they pressed the button anyway and it didn't. <laughs> like what was there? How, sh- like, what was, how uncertain were they? Um, they? Has that ever been documented? Like what, what was the, ar- the margin of error? I'm not sure what the percentage chance was, but it was enough. It, it was significant enough that some people... Th- we're worried. <laughs> it's significant enough that the finger hovered above the button yeah, for a like, microsecond. Are you sure? Are you sure? And then Oppenheimer gave the nod and they pressed the button. And Kablumi, the first Christ. atomic bomb, uh, had twenty at the power of 20,000 tons of TNT. It's it, it was incomprehensible at the time, just the amount yeah. of destructive power that this single bomb had. And once they... They reported back to Washington that they they could they did it. Um, the U.S. military, I think uh, Roosevelt was still in charge at the time. He said, "Great, uh-huh. build me two, and we're going to get ready to drop them." Wow! So they had. Do you them, think um, they think they like at that point were they aware of like nuclear fallout or the more longer lasting side effects of of that kind of technology? They were aware of not of nuclear fallout because nuclear. F- yeah, well, yeah, but when you say like the power of radiation and the damage that that does as well, they were, yeah, yeah. They, like radioactive materials, they knew that that was very dangerous to humans. And um, like Marie Curie died um, after she was working on it for a couple of decades and loads of other scientists, like I think a couple of scientists actually came in contact with the nuclear material um, on the Manhattan Project and died from nuclear radiation poisoning. So, right, they, so it, was, they, it was very front of mind for them. Yes, but... At the same time, their focus was on making an explodey bomb rather than like a nuclear weapon that hurt yeah. people, um, like in the radioact- radioactive sense. So the, the Americans decided that they had to build this really quickly and it wasn't ready in time for the European conflict, which ended in April or May, I can't remember which, mm-hmm. uh, of 45. But And then after they defeated the Nazis, America was gearing up to move their forces to the east to uh, to try and invade mainland Japan. Mm-hmm. And uh, Roosevelt's FDR passed away and Struman became the president. And it was on his plate that the decision to use these bombs fell. So the argument that was put to him was that dropping the bombs would be the, the shock to the Japanese system that they needed to actually surrender because they were doomed Um they had lost all their colonies. They were forced out of pretty much everywhere. Um, Germany had been defeated so that all the allies, including the Soviet Union, could now turn their attention on attacking Japan. But the Japanese were still showing no inclination that they were going to surrender. In mm-hmm. fact, the feedback that they were getting um, was that they were training the entire civilian population to fight to the death. Right. So they're just doubling down on everything. Yeah, it was it like the ideology that was built into this regime at the time in Japan was the Bushido culture, which was like no, like surrender wasn't part of it. The retreat isn't something that you do. It's you have to fight until the end, right? Um, so the Americans made the decision that rather than invade mainland Japan and spend millions of American lives, Japanese lives, and uncountable economic damage both from the U.S. and Japan, they dropped these bombs and try and kick them up the ass and get them to stop. So they did. They dropped the first one on Hiroshima and two days later they dropped the other one on Nagasaki. 200,000 people died in the two bombings. 
And just two in, in single the initial, bonds. In the, initial, in the initial blast, or is that including... That's including radiation damage afterwards and yeah. different kind of fire damage. Mm-hmm. Um, it was never comprehended before that a single attack could do this. So it was an, an utter game changer and the Japanese yeah. surrendered pretty quickly. It was pretty sure that the Americans had known that after World War II they were going to be kind of enemies with the Russians and they thought that dropping the bombs would be a good threat towards them to back off as well. Um, it didn't really work. The Russians decided that they just had to get themselves a bomb and they right. pumped massive resources and also thanks to a pretty effective spy network and robbing the American secrets, they detonated their first bomb in forty nine. Wow. Um, so not now long we have, after. No, not at all, no. The UK and France decided that they wanted to get bombs as well. Um, they got pretty hurt during World War II and before that they had been the big boys on the block. So they were like, in order to keep ourselves as important players, we're going to have to get these bombs. And they right. did. So, so th- this is basically causing a chain reaction between all the world's powers to just like not be the ones left without this big stick, basically. Sure. Um, that's why China got it in 64, because China seen the, like they... They thought that if they had them, it would deter any potential American invasion to get rid of them. Uh, it also, the potential of a Soviet inv- invasion was a real possibility. So China realized that they had to get them really quickly. Um, India, once they seen China get them, and they had a couple of border conflicts with China in the Himalayas, said, OK, we're going to have to get them too. India got them in 74. Pakistan, who are the eternal enemy of India, realized that they had to get them. So they had them actually only in 1998. I didn't realize it took them that long to get it up and, mm. up and working. But still, Pakistan's a pretty, um, a not, a not for, like it's, it's got a quite a high population, um, but they don't have any massive resources and they haven't really become an economic powerhouse. So they had What's to. What's their military like? Is it is it big? It's huge. Yeah. Their military yeah. is huge. The military effectively run the country there. Um, okay. So that's why they were able to divert so much of the country's resources into building these bombs. Right. And then North Korea, they also punt a whole heap of their um, energy, time and resources into getting them. And they had their first successful test in 2006. And there is a country that has them, but won't admit that they have them. And that's Israel. And people are pretty sure that they developed the technology in 67. But they're, they're just keeping shush about it. Yeah. there's. Um, it's like what? everyone knows they have one. Everyone is completely sure that they have them. But, but if it's supposed to act as a deterrent, surely a deterrent is predicated on people knowing so that they are then deterred. People do know, but but also by the time that Israel had gotten them, the international community had come against nuclear bombs and uh, there were nuclear non-proliferation treaties to try and stop countries from developing them. And Israel right. would have been considered an utter pariah if they were to openly come out and say, we have these nukes. It actually happened uh, okay. with the uh, South African government, um, the, the pre-apartheid, or like the... the the country that was still running the apartheid government, um, they developed them as an, in the 80s as an attempt to try and keep their regime in power because they could see that the, the world was turning against the apartheid regime and was putting a lot of pressure. So they thought that if they had nuclear weapons, it would give them like more of a of a strong standing to try and fight back against the, the calls for them to change. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually developed them and then agreed to dismantle them. They're the only country to have done that. Really? Yeah. Okay. And lo and behold, a couple of years later, the, the apartheid regime did fall. Right. Gaddafi as well, he um, pumped a lot of energy and resources into developing them. He had a pretty significant nuclear program. He agreed to get rid of it in the 2000s. And a lot of people say he wouldn't have fallen as quickly or at all if he had kept on to his weapons. Yeah. So that's one of the things that like countries like North Korea and Pakistan 
and I guess China when and like indeed the US and Russia when you're when you're looking at um, calls for you to get rid of these weapons and obviously it would be nice if the world didn't have these destructive powers that could wipe us out very quickly um the counter argument to that is that it is a pretty good stabilizer for your regime which is definitely mm-hmm. the reason that North Korea want them as much as anything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so Roll it back to World War Two. Uh, just after World War Two, the Cold War was heating up, and the two the two superpowers decided to pump a whole fuck ton of power and energy and resources into developing these bombs. It it basically became an arms race that for every nuke the other country had, you had to get one and then build another, and they kept on doing that to the point that in the sixties, both countries had something like thirty thousand nukes. Well, see now. This is confusing because surely you reach a point of diminishing returns because these these are such powerful weapons that you reach a ceiling on destruction that you hit pretty early on. And so what's the point of having more destructive power that you could physically use? I'm pretty sure you could wipe out the human race with um, 500 to 1,000 nukes. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, the, yeah, that's, that's the thing, the, the stat you always hear. Yeah. when this conversation comes up it's like we have enough nuclear um, weaponry to destroy the world like however many, many times, times over. over and not only that but I, I skipped over the fact so the, the first bomb that was launched was an atomic bomb that was 20,000 tons of TNT pretty soon after they figured out that they could um, use hydrogen technology and that increased the destructive power to 10 million tons of TNT incomprehensible numbers just insane just Fucking hell. And but yeah, do they have a reason why? It was, or they're just like caught up in the momentum of war that this was just a, a reactionary thing that you did to... There is a strategic game, game theory reason why you would keep on pumping resources into building more and more bombs. It's the idea yeah. of deterrence and, and MADS, mutually assured destruction. Okay. So as you said, one of the reasons that you want to have nuclear bombs is to let everyone know that you have a nuclear bombs so that you won't get attacked. But yeah. you also but. have to have the ability to respond with an effective second strike. Okay. So the idea is is that if if your enemy decides to attack you, they can attack your nuclear capabilities, and if they wipe them out, they're no longer in danger of you um, retaliating. Okay. So the reason that the superpowers pumped so much money into developing all these different nukes was to ensure that they they would be able to launch a counterattack should they be attacked um, first. Okay, so like they have a submarine contingency as exactly. well as a silo or whatever. Yeah. Silos, okay. submarines, airplanes, all all the different ways that you have to drop one of these weapons, they developed them and then yeah. kept on developing them to ensure that if if the trigger was ever pulled, they would have the ability to, to, to throw one back, which is supposed to act then as a deterrent for anyone wanting to make the first strike. Right. And this is this was so important and so built into the international system that any attempts then and indeed now to make ineffective the ability for another country to attack you with nuclear bombs is considered an act of aggression. Right. So building your defenses against nuclear bombs is considered an act of aggression. A missile oh, shield. Oh, no, it's like strategically nullifying. Yes, the other country. The, yeah. So the US has built a lot of missile, missile shield technology recently. Um, these are essentially uh, missiles that would launch into the air to try and strike down another country's attempt to attack you. Um, mm-hmm. They want to build them in Eastern Europe um, to block missiles coming from Russia. They also want to build them um, in the Pacific to stop missiles coming from China and North Korea. And the Russians and the Chinese are just as pissed off with the idea of them doing that as they would be if they were actually targeting their countries with bombs. Right. Um, not only that, but in the 80s, 
uh, Reagan, for some reason, thought that it would be really easy to put lasers onto satellites where you could shoot down missiles <laughs> flying in space. That's a, that's a plot from a Bond movie, surely. Uh, well, it was called the Star Wars Project. <laughs> And it was one of the things that uh, heightened and escalated the, uh, the the Cold War during the 80s. Because wow. the Russians were really not happy with the idea of their missiles getting shot down by Reagan-powered lasers. Yeah, lasers in space pointing down is not something I can see any world government being happy with. But it's not even that they would be hitting the ground. They, they were just, they would only be capable of uh, knocking out missiles that were flying to attack your country. Initially. And then <laughs> sure. you, you turn it, the dial up to 11. Yeah. Then what do you have? Jigga-jigga-jing, where's your guitar? Oh, shit, hold on. Hold on. Fuck it, it's fine. Um, so that's how it works. Um, these countries kept on pumping in the different missiles and, and building them up, and at the height of the Cold War in the 50s and 60s, it, it, it was so frantic and frenzy that it was like a core part of domestic politics in the UK and Russia, uh, sorry, in the US and Russia to try and prove that you were a strong enough leader and you were totally behind the missile program that mm. JFK claimed when he was running for the presidency in 1960 against Nixon that the US had a, there was a missile gap that the Soviets had jumped ahead of them in their technology because at the time the Soviets were pretty ahead in the space race. Mm-hmm. They, they got Sputnik up there. They got Laika, the poor little doggy who didn't come back. Oh, oh, and oh. they had Yuri Gagarin, the uh, cosmonaut who luckily did come back. <laughs> Yay! Um, With the dog? No, he found him. It was a rescue mission, uh, a very successful rescue mission. I'll I'll check that out. I'll check that out. Okay. Next um, week. So the Russians had all these big, um, famous achievements in space, and it was pretty easy to infer then that they also had massive achievements in putting bombs on missiles. It turns yeah. out they actually didn't. At the time, the US had nearly, actually, an incomprehensibly more nuclear bombs than Russia did at the time. Oh, really? Yeah, there's a graph that I'm going to share that I got um, that shows like the spike of nuclear weapons between the US and Russia. And at the time in 1960, Russia is pretty low, like around um, 1,000. The US is up to about 20,000. Whoa! But JFK was still able to successfully claim in, in the media that there was a missile gap between the US and, the, and and Russia and that they were falling behind, which was a, a lie, a total lie. Yeah. Um, he was in charge during the Cuban Missile Crisis and that was the closest mm-hmm. that the world ever came to um, the kind of nuclear war that would have wiped us all out. So yeah, so the, like, the, the, the level of weaponry that was primed and ready to go, fuck, there's a car horn outside, it just won't shut up. I can't hear it at all, but I guess it might be picked up on your mic. It's like, no, there's a couple of them. <laughs> Like, there's something happening. Hold on. Something's happening outside. Maybe they're fans of the podcast. Hope so. Maybe it's like, remember TRL, that Total Request Live thing where people are outside and just <laughs> banging the window. And but you, up. Don't you record Maybe on the second that. story? <laughs> I do, yeah. That's why they have to use car horns so they can... It'll be ladders <laughs> next time. Yeah, exactly. So, um, <clears throat> yeah. <coughs> so, sorry. The... Um, yeah, the, the amount of weaponry that was primed and ready to go at that point, like what level of destruction are we talking about? Like you say enough to wipe the world out. Is that, are you talking like literally? Like yes. in that moment enough or yes. like gradually over time? No. Okay. Wow. Like um, Fallout, the video game style world after the, the bombs would have been launched. Terrifying. So... The Cuban Missile Crisis started because the Russians were trying to put missiles into Cuba. It's, it's, it's one yeah. of those it's one of those nice um, named conflicts where it's pretty obvious what it's about. <laughs> it's pretty, yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty straightforward. But 
The reason they were trying to do that was that a couple of months beforehand, the US had put missiles in Turkey closer to the USSR than Cuba was to America. So mm. that they were threatening the USSR. And this was like a response to that. It was much right. le- it was much less well known in the US and even at the time. Um so the Russians were just trying to get the same kind of counter strike against the US, the same the same leverage that they held against them. And the only way that they could get the entire conflict to stand down was for the US to secretly agree to pull out those missiles from Turkey. Right. So, yeah, um, there was also, we had talked about the missile gap where the two countries were fighting each other over making sure that they were matching each other in the amount of missiles they could lob. And um, mm-hmm. they also had competition over who could survive the nuclear war. And oh, they really? Called that, they called that the bunker gap. <laughs> um, isn't there, isn't, isn't the, the, they're like a big mountain in the US that's a bunker for the US president? And some really important. Well, there's the NORAD bunker in North Dakota. I think that's, but um, I'm pretty sure there's loads of bunkers all around DC that, like, the helicopter, the reason he travels in a helicopter now is because they realized they had to get him out of DC really, really quickly if they needed to. Before that, he just rode in a limo. Right. Um, So that's why the helicopter was introduced into how the president gets around. Um, The interstate highway system was actually developed by Eisenhower to try and get the civilian population out of cities in the event of a nuclear conflict. Really? That was why? Yeah, that was the initial, the initial, that was like one of the initial reasons as well as it, yeah. as it being just an effective way to get around their own country. He <laughs> thought it would be a good way to get people out of cities. It turns out that it's, he, they realized pretty much through the project that it wouldn't be any way worthwhile against that because the, the instant mass panic, panic would just clog up the roads and it, people wouldn't be able to get out. Yeah. I mean, when I was living over there, there was, you would swear there was a nuclear uh, war about to break out on any <laughs> given morning, judging by the fucking way those interstates clogged up. Um, they actually built bunkers into loads of different interstate bypasses at the time as well. So and really? they're, still, they, they're still there. Huh. What are they uh, used for now? Just probably still. Um, just kept storing shovels. <laughs> County council going there for tea breaks and sandwiches. Cans of spam. <laughs> the kind of things that you need when the when the nuclear war happens. Do you have a bug out bag? Is that something you'd you'd ever get? No, no. Do you? No. No, but I've, I was, I'm always interested in it. I, I was supposed to have one when I was in California in case of an earthquake. Ah. And you need to be able to... So just for the people that don't know about the insane preppers and that culture around the moment, bug out bag is... Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's 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 like a, a bag that's always ready to go that has enough um, amenities in it that you can survive for a couple of days. So like fresh drinking Wait, water, amenities. flashlight. Isn't that like fun stuff? Oh, maybe. <laughs> or I'm not sure if the, if the term can also be used for essential supplies. But when you said I, amenities, I was like, okay, yeah, I got it. My Nintendo Switch. I thought it was interchangeable. I got my books. Uh, but enough supplies <laughs> that'll last you a couple of days. Uh, no, I don't. And I don't think I will. But I do know guys that like know where they want to go if the zom- zombie apocalypse happens. Where? where? Apparently Trinity College, if you're in Dublin, because it's a walled structure. Oh, really? I don't think it would be a good idea because it's in the middle of the city. So if you're running away yeah. from hordes of zombies, you would want to get away from population centers. Mm, okay. Anyway, um, luckily, zombie virus is not one of the present WMDs yeah. as far as but we that, know. That's a, that's a cool thing that like, um, didn't the UN release like a zombie preparation plan that you're supposed like that you would follow in case of a zombie breakout. But when you actually read it, it was just um, advice to deal with any sort of big world emergency. And it was just a way of tricking people into disaster preparedness. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, because like most no, that government- definitely happened. Yeah, most governments do have um, 
they have to cover every possible contingency in their planning. So they do have a folder for zombie apocalypse and alien invasion and everyone turns into with Christopher Walken and John Travolta. They do have like plans for all these different things. Um, but it was a pretty good idea for the UN to trick people into thinking well about other problems though. Yeah. And potentially also backing us up if the zombie invasion does happen. Yeah. So, but now we, we don't have any, there's no threat of nuclear war now, Steve, surely? Um, yes, there is. Okay. At the moment, <laughs> Russia has 7,300 nuclear bombs. The US has 7,000 nuclear bombs. France has 300 nuclear bombs. China has 260. Britain, 215. India, 130. Pakistan, 120. Israel, 80. And North Korea, don't know. And we have that one in your sit- front sitting room that we established yeah. in the very first episode of this show. Yeah, I use it as a footstool. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's why my uh, legs are always really itchy. <laughs> Um, yeah, but no, no one's going to fire them, though, Steve, surely. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> but, the, you know, the same principles are nice. Apply. People are inherently good, right? No, that wasn't what stopped us from falling into mass armed conflict during the Cold War. The reason that the Cold War didn't turn into a hot war was that the rational actors in charge of the countries always backed down from potential nuclear war and instead fought these little proxy wars around the world rather than actually fighting each other. Because it was that was then, it. and this is now, and we've learned, right? Uh, no, 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 okay. no, no. So, no, what are the no. threats? What are the dangers? There is still the potential conflict between the great powers: the U.S., Russia, U.S., China, Russia, China. Um, if they ever got into enough of a heated conflict, potentially they could end up throwing the bombs, or they would be on such a state of ready alert that it could essentially be started by accident or a misunderstanding. Oh, that would be bad. Like um, mis- oh, well, actually, remember the, the, that just happened with Hawaii. Yeah, they were, I'll, get, they, I'll get to that. The uh, famous yeah. accidents. Yeah, India and Pakistan—they still are in their enemies, and they're fighting over land in the Kashmir. That's always still a potential conflict, nuclear conflict. Mm-hmm. And Israel, um, if they ever feel threatened enough by different countries, they would definitely lob a bomb pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. It came yeah. very close to it in the Yom, Yom Kippur War in the early 70s. And there's also potential terrorist attacks. Is that so, like is that a tool that terrorists could readily have uh, access to? The former US Secretary of Defense, Bill Perry, I think he worked for Clinton. Um, he is 90 years old and still spends two months of his year traveling the world trying to make people aware about how dangerous it is for terrorists to get their hands on bombs. He puts it as an even, an even split that it'll happen in the next 10 years. A bomb will go off in a city. Wow, a nuclear bomb. A nuclear bomb. You only need 20 kilograms of nuclear material to get an improvised like suitcase or cargo container bomb. Wow. And that's about the power of of Hiroshima. If that was to go off inside a major city, it's massive devastation. And this very intelligent, uh, well-knowledgeable dude puts it as like a two, a one, like, you know, an even chance, 50-50. That it's going to happen in the next 10 years. Oh my God. Yeah, that'd be bad. (sighs) Another potential thing is that Russia and the US have massive detection systems to try and make sure that they would spot these missiles coming in as a first strike so that they could press the button and launch the second strike. Yeah. Um, It has happened a couple of times that false alerts and false alarms have made it to the, the powers that be. The closest it ever got was in the 90s when Boris Yeltsin, the president of the then former Soviet Union, Russia, um, mm-hmm. was woken up out of a drunken stupor and told <laughs> that missiles were coming in from the US 
and the briefcase was armed and he was about to press the button and decided not to because he was oh like, wait, we're, we're, we're getting on really well with the US. Let's, let's just double check this. Oh my God. It turns out that Norway had launched a satellite to study the Northern Lights. Oh, such an innocent thing. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what nearly um, wiped us all out. It's a pigeon flew in front of the wrong sensor. Potentially. Um, oh. The US lost control of its missiles in one of its silos for 40 minutes a couple of years ago. Wait, what do you mean lost control? They didn't have control over the, new, over, over the computer systems that arm and launch them. But like surely they would just lie there dormant if there's no, like they're actually firing they, off themselves or something? Like You can't understand. rule it out that someone had hacked in and launched it. Oh, fuck. The UK Trident um, submarine did a test this or last year. They launched a dud missile that was supposed to go east <laughs> towards its potential likely target. Instead, yeah. the missile went west and nearly hit oh. the US. <clears throat> That's the opposite one. <laughs> and uh, it turns out that they believe that was actually due to a hacking. Oh my God, that's terrifying. Isn't it? And then North Korea are still always potentially. Um, you can't guarantee that the North Koreans won't just launch a bomb as some sort of gambit to try and keep themselves going if they think that their regime is under attack and then equally Donald Trump you can't guarantee that he won't launch a bomb because he's Donald Trump nuclear bombs are really really expensive that's another thing worth mentioning um, yeah. the Brookings Institution calculated that between 1940 and 96 the US spent the equivalent today of 9.8 trillion dollars what present day monies on its nuclear weapons program a d- sorry a day no 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 present day figures oh, <laughs> Well, now you've diminished the the significance of the nine point eight trillion dollars figure for fuck's sake, Richie. Oh, that's, the, that's a bargain. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, okay, it's still a fuck ton of money. Okay, of course it is. Yeah, we could have got humans to Mars on that kind of budget. Yeah, but instead we put them into the ability to wipe humans off Earth. Um, Trump has approved an upgrade of the nuclear weapons program that's going to cost one point two trillion over thirty years, which whoa isn't so big considering that quite a few of these weapon systems are really outdated and need to get updated if you're going to keep them. Obviously right. it would be preferable if you were to spend that money taking them out. Yeah. But at the moment that's not going to happen. Um, the UK still have that mentality that they need to hold on to nuclear weapons to be a big boy. Um, mm-hmm. They think that if they lost their, if they got rid of their nukes they would lose their seat at the at the UN Security Council which is essentially the most powerful um, international committee that there is that it makes mm-hmm. all the decisions on what the UN gets involved with mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, and it's very precious to them to try and remain and be a big power but they spend a lot of money on maintaining these nuclear weapons and they are very controversial because a lot of people obviously would prefer not to have them especially in Scotland where they're housed and they're really yeah. worried oh my god they're really worried that if there was a first strike that they would go first yeah of course it's actually worth mentioning that the SNP is has got loads and loads and loads of the hippies from the sixties who were uh, anti weapons, anti nuclear weapons campaigners, mm-hmm. and they moved into the SNP then afterwards. Um, just sorry, just quick, a quick, just while we're on that topic, yeah. Um, as a thought experiment, just say all of the WMDs the world over got decommissioned overnight. Like, does that put everyone on a similar uh, uh, playing field? And like, what would happen then if, if if we were just to completely not have them? It wasn't a thing anymore. Would we see a huge shift in dynamics of how how war happens, how countries engage in conflict with each other? 
or would be very much just like business as normal. If you are a proponent of the MAD theory, the mutually assured destruction and the idea that nuclear weapons, in fact, act as a deterrent against war, mm. you would say that the potential for great power conflict and like World War One, World War Two style wars would immediately increase because countries wouldn't be as disinclined to invade and attack everyone else as they would be. Right. Or if you were not of that opinion, and I don't want to say if you're a flimsy hippie, (laughs) (laughs) a naive kid, (laughs) you would say, oh no, humans have evolved beyond the point. And since we're getting rid of these nukes, it's proof that we've gone beyond the need to fight wars and then we would stop. I think essentially your question is an interesting thought experiment, but if countries were willing to get rid of these nukes, then they're basically, they may as well throw away the machine guns and, and the grenades as well, because they, they would right. have basically given up on war. They're not going to yeah. go anywhere. Like realistically, right, yeah. they're not. Yeah. It's like if you, if everyone was to get rid of them and then you, you would have to trust every other country in the world to get rid of them. Yeah. And yeah, that's why I phrase it as a, a thought experiment yeah. where magically overnight it just happened because... Even if all it takes is just one person to not. Yeah, like me. It's <laughs> <laughs> just you and your one in your sitting room. Oh yeah, now did you hear Steve's now the supreme ruler of the world? <laughs> oh, fuck that guy. <laughs> if, if, you were, if you were supreme ruler of, the, uh, ruler of the world, what position would you give me? Um, junior vice president. Junior, junior executive vice president. Yes. Could I be uh, like your jester who, who, who just comes in and just plays the same two chords over and over again to entertain you. <laughs> You'd have to come to all my meetings and just like play it when I give you the nod and then to the <laughs> point where you just know when to do it. <laughs> you just walk into the room. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think your question was asking because I was talking with the UK getting rid of them. They didn't. They yes, decided sorry. not to get rid of them. They're not going to get rid of them. Unfortunately, they're still going to keep on pumping a fuck ton of money to that. And especially right. in the post-Brexit world as they're constantly accused of declining I think um, the powers that be are going to try their best to hold on to their precious, precious nukes. Right. Yeah. So I just want to quickly wrap it up and say the biggest danger, I think, is that in the old system of the Cold War, you had two powers squared up against each other, which is what you call the bipolar international rule system. And they ensured that by keeping each other and by keeping all their bombs trained on the other person, other team, and making sure that if the other team was to launch, they could fire back it kind of kept things a little bit more stable. At the moment, we're moving into a multipolar world where there isn't just two big countries. The US is declining. Russia is kind of holding on. China is rising. And all these other random little countries are grabbing nukes. It's Mm -hmm. getting much more chaotic. And Mm -hmm. it's going to be much harder to play that easy kind of seesaw balance that we had during the Cold War. Yeah. And nuclear power, nuclear conflict is as likely as it ever has been. That's that's a terrifying concept. Ending it on the way we're, uh, we like to end. Uh, wait, so that's the end of this section? That's it. <laughs> you started off by saying you only know one tune. I've heard at least four tunes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. I just wanted to have like a little, little happy ditty at the end of that very dour talk. <laughs> uh, but look, the upside is that there's loads of cool uh, media built off the back of nuclear war. What's your favorite? Yeah. What's your favorite nuclear war movie? Um, favorite nuclear war movie? God, I don't know. I know the Fallout games are pretty great. The video, the video game series, um, and they're which, built heavily on that concept. Which is um, your favorite? I've only ever played a little bit of four. Oh, okay. I'm actually a um, massive fan of all of them, and New oh, Vegas. Really? New Vegas is my favorite. I won't. I won't take any 
any dissent against that. In terms of movies, I really liked actually what, and this is this is more of a an allegory than an actual direct reference, but you remember um, uh, Rogue One, the Star yeah. Wars spinoff that came out, and there was Jin Erse's father, who was like a direct parallel of Oppenheimer. Oh, I didn't he was supposed that was to be there. like he because he invented like the the Death Star technology, but then immediately like regretted the power of the thing he created. Yeah. Um, and that was like a direct parallel. And then obviously the Death Star is like the ultimate weapon. Yeah. That I believe was supposed to, was originally created to draw parallels between nuclear technology and, you know, science fiction tropes. But um, what about you? Do you have a, a particular movie? Oh, Dr. Strangelove. Without oh, a of course, of course. Yeah, of course. It's a comedy from the 50s made by, or maybe 62, um, directed by my favourite director, Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. He got the rights to a book which was a straight-faced um, like nuclear conflict scare. Um, and he was trying to write the script and realised he just couldn't write it seriously. Mm. So he decided to turn all the other way and write it as a complete farcical comedy. Yeah, just an absurdist. Yeah. And it, it, it looks so comedy. good. It's shot so well. The acting is so brilliant. Um, and the premise—it's got that—it's got that iconic um, that you know the the big the room with the big circular light. That's just basically become the template for evil layers, basically in every piece of media. Yeah, pretty much. I think actually the same set director um, who worked on that was the set director for the James Bond movies. <laughs> yeah, it shows. it shows. So he was able to use those skills for the evil layers. Um, that mm-hmm. was the war room and the best line in the entire movie is, gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. <laughs> so good. So good. Cool. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, oh yeah, and just to say, um, Skynet, the premise of the Terminator, the Terminator movies yeah. is that um, we give the ability to launch nuclear weapons to machines and they decide to launch them because they don't like us. So let's not do that. Let's not do that. So that's it. That's nuclear bombs. That's nuclear weapons. Fuck. I fucked it up. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. Okay, let's just go before I embarrass myself further. (laughs) Okay, see you. Uh, Wait, no, hold on. Hold on. Let's not go, go. Let's wrap up first. Okay, Um, see you, Richie. No, hold on. <laughs> Stop leaving. You have okay, to, bye, thank Richie. You, thanks, Supermarket Love, for the theme music. Bye, Richie. Come on, politics on Twitter. So long. Come on, politics on Gmail. Bye. Uh, okay. I'm trying to keep going back, but there's a bag blocking my chair. Um, oh, also, the survey is down because we reached the, the limit of what we can... Uh, results we can get on on our Bye. free account and be fucked if we're going to pay for a, a proper account. Okay, so, so thank you for all of your responses. Really Go appreciate on. it. But the survey is now closed. Uh, St- Steve's gone, I think. You there, Steve? No. <laughs> okay, goodbye.